0: Father, as we come to open your word this morning again, we ask through your Holy Spirit you would open our minds and our hearts to receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Continuing in the Gospel of Mark this morning, we'll be in chapter 18, verses 15 through 21. Did I say Matthew? Um, Matthew 18, 15 through 20. I get them all right that way. Uh, The context, uh, we've gone through Matthew 18 with a couple of sermons already, but the the key, I think, to seeing it is, is that to see where Jesus is going with these verses that we're going to see this morning, I just want to add in beginning verse 10, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. And what Jesus is actually referring to, anyone who is in Christ, see that you don't set them apart in such a way as to cause to be a stumbling block or anything in that category. Don't despise them, okay? And, and, And so with that, you could say, but what if he sins against me? Now, what, you know I'm angry with this person, and this is what Jesus addresses in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you if two, or, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by My Father in heaven. For, there, for where two or three are gathered in My name, there am I among them. Verses that can be abused and misused and have, uh, but hopefully we can at least get a general idea of them this morning. Again, we are not to despise each other, and, and somebody would say, like, you know, but he's, he's sinning against me. He, he won't receive me. He, you know, and Jesus says, there's a, we've got a, a, a way of taking care of that. There's four basic steps that he outlines here in verses 15, 16, and 17. If you, or if your brother, and the implication by the word brother is fellow believer, Okay, if your fellow believer sins, and that he doesn't define the magnitude of sin here, and you can't help, and you know, well, how serious of a sin does it have to be before this is addressed this way, before you put some people call it the Matthew eighteen principle into effect, and. I guess I have to say I don't have a specific answer from the Word here because Jesus doesn't define it. He says if he sins against you, go to him. The idea here is, is that it's obviously something that has upset you. You you feel set apart from him for some reason. It is is it's disruption in your relationship for some reason, enough to, in a sense, feel like you've lost your brother. That you're not close anymore. I put into this slot the idea of avoidance. And the only way I can put it in, in terms that I see is like I'm, I'm at Safeway, I'm going down the aisle with my cart, and I see the person that I am mentally and in heart and in spirit at odds with come around the corner and I turn and go the other way. We do. We get into that mode where we practice avoidance. We don't, we we sit on the opposite side of the church. I've been in situations where that's happening. And, 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 you know, people are, are at odds with each other. Sadly, what frequently happens is people start to join friends around them to join in their burden of hurt, if you will. And all of a sudden you've got division in the church. This is what Jesus is concerned about. He says, we don't, we don't need division in the church. We need healing. Church is supposed to be a place of healing. And so, uh, if your brother offends you, here is a way to deal with it. And apparently it has nothing to do with the magnitude. Now, someone might come to you at some point in time, and sometimes after a sermon like this, it does happen, uh, you know, and, and, and say to you, you know, I, I, I don't know what it is, but I feel like there's something wrong between us, and I, I, I this, the, that, or whatever. And, and, and the person won't even have a clue as to what you're talking about, you know. And they were wondering why you were a little distant, and so they were feeling alienated too. And, and the idea is, is that the two of you together can work this out. There, there probably was nothing. I recall a situation for myself where uh, and it was at a graduation ceremony for for uh, middle school. And the young boy who was going to be speaking uh, for his, as the graduation speaker, the eighth grader, was walking down the center aisle to to take his place. Uh, and sit and and wait for his turn to speak and all. And, and nobody had been seated yet. We hadn't started with prayer. And I had walked the other direction in the aisle. And I never even saw him. Never even saw him. And he had said something to me. And what it was was that he wanted me to pray with him I never heard it. He thought I had. I want to tell you, this kid had the boldness to put this into practice. He came up to me and he said, I don't understand what happened after the the thing. We prayed together then and we settled it. And I regained a brother. And as did did he. And I thought, if an 8th grader can get this, you know, we all should be able to get this and put it into practice. So, the, how how outrageous of sin is that? You know, I didn't mean it. I didn't even see him. I was busy thinking, "Oh, I got to get this taken care of before this meeting starts." I had my own focus, and yet, actually, so did he. He was focusing about his part, and we did. I didn't see him. There's no excuse for that, really. As the, the, the pastor of the school, and as somebody he would call his, he called me Pastor Bob, I should have seen him. And I should have thought about praying with him. I did sin against him. Va- flagrant violation? No. But still an act of neglect and a sin. We can do this with our kids. We can do this with each other. We can do this in far more serious circumstances. And that's what Jesus is driving at. So I think that's why it's not defined. It's amazing how little a thing can become so invasive in the sense of hurt. A word? Body language? Combination thereof? Or lack of thereof, and and resulting in somebody's feelings being hurt. And so, if you know this this picture, if if you have someone who has at fault, you feel as at fault with you, has sinned against you, very specifically, you're told to go to this person. You're not to just. I think come back to verse 10. You're not to sit back and just despise and fume about this. There's a way of addressing the issue. Every one of us is called to this. This is there's no exception to this. All believers are called to do this. He's sinned against you. Again, normally with the things that happen, you practice avoidance. you you, you your relationship, your fellowship is kind of is broken. And what you don't realize sometimes, and, and, and sometimes, especially if it's where the other person doesn't even know they've done this, they sometimes can even continue to do it inadvertently, meaning it's something that they say or do that's just simply offensive to you for some reason. And it continues to happen. That's where the despising starts to come out of this and, and, and the anger and the frustration and, and, and division. So go to him alone. How many people have you supposed to have shared this with then? Go to him alone. There's a reason why Jesus said it this way. How many people are you to have gotten your counsel from before you went and said, yeah, I, I need to do this. Now, somebody say, is it wrong to get pastor's counsel to whether this is something? I have had people come to me say, I carrying a burden, an offense. I need to know what to do. This is where we go. After talking about it, sometimes people say well I, 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 I'm not even it 's not even an issue with me anymore, but very often it already is an issue now with the other person for for some reason because there 's been an aloofness, so there 's still the need. This is a biblical principle of keeping fellowship together and and i 'll tell you when when it starts to disintegrate here, it disintegrates here too, and it 's hard to be close to the lord when you're you're being frustrated." with a, 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 fellow, a fellow brother or sister. Go to them alone. Now, I'm going to qualify this. Men don't go to women alone. Women don't go to men alone. And somebody says, well, how do you get that? I get that from the other scriptures that talk us about being you know, safe and, and, and beyond uh, uh, reproof and, and, and this type of thing. Okay? So, at that point, it may be the, the point where you would involve your pastor, or you know somebody else that goes with you, so that there's a third person already there to discuss it. Okay, but if it's a, a brother against brother or sister, I think the word "alone" is intentional here. It's between you and that person first. Not, it's not to be carried over. If you actually need counsel, then go to one of the elders uh, to the pastor. But, but, but not with the intent of, uh if you, you know, so many, off, so often you said, you know, and I've had people who do this come to me and say, you know, so-and-so, you know, staccato, you know, yeah. and, and, and they'll basically say, you know what they did? And so they're coming with to me, setting the stage that they're hoping to, to, to gain some Momentum for their side, if you will. it's not what it says here, and that's why the, Jesus uses this this idea of two brothers just coming together, two sisters just coming together. I believe if you are resting in Christ, you've prayed about it. I believe that that the majority of of disruptions, if you will, personal disruptions, disputes like this, can be solved at this level. But Jesus says, what if He doesn't listen to you? If He listens to you, you've gained your brother, you've gained your sister, you've, you've gained your fellow member, believer in the body of Christ, and, you're, and what it's saying is that your fellowship is restored together. You, you, the two are one together in the body of Christ again. The unity is restored. Now, I have to do a little sidestep here as well because if you have gone to other people before you did this, you've now got people carrying your grudge that have to be resolved too. If you blow it... <laughs> Or if you have gotten some counsel as to how to approach this and have somebody backing you up with prayer, and I'm not—I'm just saying—the the context here is that you need to make sure you go back to that person too, and say, "We got it fixed," isn't that awesome? Especially if it's your pastor, because he needs to know. Now, hopefully, your pastor would follow up and say, "Did you did you get this worked out? Have you done it yet?" You know. But the idea is, you know, get it. You won't have this network, and of course, you. We do have a a tendency to, I don't know, people get kind of inflated when they know something that nobody else knows and can't wait to tell someone else. And uh, lo and behold, it's all over the place before you ever get a chance to get across the street because you haven't taken this in in stride and, and, and done it this way. It may not get solved this way. This is where we start. If He listens to you, the guys are restored in your fellowship together. There's no problem within the framework of the body over it, and everybody can move ahead. But verse 16, he says, If he refuses to listen to you, and I think the idea is here, if he makes light of it, it becomes defensive, uh, or in, and, uh, and it seems to, it, you know, normally that will intensify the feelings. Uh, if, if he refuses to listen to you, and this puts a burden on the the person receiving this now most of us i know i am extremely defensive by nature i i i used to try to blame it <laughs> on different circumstances in my upbringing and other things but the bottom line is, is that I'm a 60-year, a 60 68-year-old man who's been a Christian a long time, and there's no excuse. A brother comes to me. What's the one thing that I would add to this? Let's have a word of prayer together and ask for the Holy Spirit's guidance. But I need to be sympathetic. If I've offended you, I, I might think you're being extremely petty or something. But it, it doesn't say that. It says if. It, if you're hurt. If your feelings are hurt. If there's something that's festering in you. Let's, here's the way we do it. Go one-on-one. And if that doesn't work, he makes light of it he, he 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 takes it like you know you're out of your 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 bounds here I, forget it I done, I didn't do anything then your need is to take one or two others as witnesses and try again for reconciliation boy this is where it starts to get tough because now Jesus is making kind of an assumption based on humility here, that you're not out to gain your advantage. In other words, the flesh would say, pick out two witnesses you know will what? Side with me. Or with you, if it's your you know. The idea of establishing two witnesses is to hear the conversation. Now, a side note to that is there's a lot of sides to a conversation. When two people are talking, there's what you hear, there's what I hear, and there's what was really said. We all have biases. We all have things in our belief window that... Cloud the way we interpret words and see things and hear things. As a result, there's two sides to every conversation. Okay? The idea of doing this is to get a couple of more people to who you believe in all honesty and spirit, of, if you will, of the sense of, of restoration, would hear this. And at that point, you go approach the the, the brother again and you know I, you know if if you're approaching it again with with prayer with the intent to to resolve this not the intent you know you're not looking to be vindicated you're looking to resolve is it you know what you might find out was going to happen in the midst of this by the way is that you'll find out that both of you are got some faults to deal with somebody says well 90% <laughs> Uh, and and I remember one seminar that we went to years ago. Says if 90% means, then that means 10% fault. That's sin. <laughs> you know, uh, we, we we need to be accountable for our part. And the other part is, if you hadn't done this, I would have. You know, uh, we we preface this. No, this is just uh, the intent is. To, you know, two or three get the witnesses, uh, and and uh, determine how to restore the fellowship. You need to be willing to listen to the witness's findings, though. If you've picked mature Christian people, didn't try to stack the deck, but tried to get the right answer in the sense of what God would bring to this, and you prayed about even choosing the people that you would go with, that that could happen, it might turn out that that there isn't maybe there might not even be an offense, and I've seen that too. So, you know where people will stand back. But if we hadn't gone through this process, it wouldn't have, have, have gotten resolved. And I do know, over very petty things, churches have split. They were petty little things that happened. Months, years before, and it just never got fixed. And I'm not kidding you. I've seen it in situations where over the years, where one group of, of families are sitting on this side, and one group of families are sitting on this side, and the twain don't meet, even in fellowship after In fact, there is no fellowship after church. they just leave. everybody goes. It's not what we want. And it's amazing how once it gets that far along, nobody even knows, in some cases, what started it anymore. Because it was two generations back in some churches. Jesus is concerned that you know, we don't want to let little things destroy the fellowship of the congregation. And, the, and, and also, the witness of the congregation. You went with a couple of people from the congregation. You approached. You sought reconciliation. No ground is is gained. Verse 17, if he still refuses to listen, take it to the church. Now, I'm going to be very definitive as to how I see this. And I will tell you that there are a lot of different commentaries and other things over that that some agreeing, some disagreeing with me in this, each proposing a different way. I believe when it says take it to the church, it means to the leadership of the church, to the elders. Okay? I am a a, a person who believes in non-denominational churches, elder-led churches, uh, the elders are not voted on, but brought together through the congregation as they, you know, and, and, and I don't appoint them, we appoint them together. I mean, we try to keep this as much in harmony as possible. The elders are there to handle these things. That's part of the shepherding that they're called to. When we get into the New Testament epistles and stuff like that, we will see more of this indication. This is where I believe you go with it, to the church. Now, if it needs to, to the leaders, to the elders. Now, if it needs to come to the congregation as a resolve of some kind, that's another issue. And we'll get to that in a minute. But I have been in church situations where uh, uh, and they weren't churches that Kathy and I went to regularly, but everything was done by congregational vote. This would have come not to the board leaders, the elders, but it would have come to the congregation. And the congregation would have had a vote as to who was right. Our congregation has explicit details in our bylaws about this. It goes one on one, Matthew 18 principle, one on one. Take some others if you need, uh, if that doesn't work, and if not, come to the elders. Now, the elders may find that, 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 that they might not be the ones that uh, they might see someone in the congregation who could h- handle this and say, hey, you would be good to counsel them through this, or whatever. But the elders have to take the responsibility of shepherding. And I think part of it, and the reason why I see this, and then I see it in the epistles, is the elders are responsible for keeping peace. And if they don't know that peace is, is at jeopardy, they don't know how to pray, they don't know how to lead, you, you've left them out of the picture, and they can't do their job. So I believe that's the order. But what if he still refuses? The elders have gone. They've tried to talk. Now the elders are to take the the role of leadership here. And they're going to say, if you are not willing to come to peace and reconciliation over this, at this point, you have to understand, there's an assumption being made. The offended brother is willing. What if neither of them are willing? What if it turns out that both of them are just as obstinate as the other and both of them are at a fault? then both of them are going to be admonished. And I believe in the same way. But, at the moment that this is talking, we're thinking, the the idea appears to be that one is willing and the other is not. The one who doesn't care, obviously, is showing that he doesn't care about the, the shepherding of the elders. He doesn't care about the congregation and, and division. He's not really concerned about those things. He's only concerned about his feelings. That's not the body of Christ. We're told that we are to be one with another in unity in such a way that, that we hurt for each other, we feel for each other, we, we, we pray for each other, we love each other. That And, and, and this is not showing that. If he refuses and again, there is implied that there's something that needs to be repented and he will not, then let the believer in, be to you as a Gentile or a, a tax collector. Now, being that most of us are Gentiles, uh, and 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 I don't know if anybody in here is a tax collector. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but, uh, you know... Uh, the idea is, is that we, we we may not relate well to this. Jesus is not snubbing Gentiles or tax collectors here. Matthew is a tax collector. <laughs> okay, that was his profession. And Jesus called him. So it's not, what he's using is a, 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 a word picture here that the Jews who this was written to and the disciples who were hearing this would understand. Because the Jews, as, uh, by the time that they got to this point, you know, if you were a pious Jew, you wouldn't walk on the same side of the street as a Gentile. You certainly wouldn't brush shoulders with one. Because they're unclean. You wouldn't have, and this is really the key, you wouldn't as a Jew have fellowship with one. And tax collectors were Jewish people, generally, like Matthew, who had, in a sense, from the Jewish perspective, betrayed them working for the Romans, collecting the taxes. This had nothing to do with temple tax or anything like that. What Matthew was was a Roman tax collector. so we understand Matthew's writing to Jewish people, the disciples uh, and as Jewish men hearing this would understand, these are people you won't have fellowship with. Now this is early in, in the picture of all of this, and, and Jesus has already shown as he's had fellowship with and talking with the woman at the well who was a Samaritan. I mean, we've already, he's just simply drawing enough of a word picture that they understand that there's going to be a break in fellowship. Treat them as those you will not have fellowship with. No longer welcome in fellowship. Some see 2 Thessalonians here. That's 2 Timothy, Bob. There's my marker. It slipped down. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 is, is, is a picture here of helping us to understand that. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and having nothing to do with them that they may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. In other words, the idea is... To break fellowship with this person. But not to, to give up. But to let him see that his attitude towards the body, his attitude towards his brother, his attitude towards the elders, uh, if, if this is the way he is, this is what he is giving up. It's the fellowship. Do we want this person restored? Absolutely. It's not the intent to get rid of And that's the other thing I've seen over the years. We're just better off without this person. Now, a lot of times when we start this process, a person will simply leave. Unfortunately, that's sad too because the problem is still unresolved at this point then. Because I've actually heard people say, well, good riddance. A part of the body of Christ has been asked to leave, there's no fellowship with them because of the sin between you and that person and, and, and or others looking at it have already taken their side at this point. Because the elders, obviously, this is where the congregation comes into it. The elders are sharing this person is not going to be part of our congregation until this is resolved. I have actually heard someone say good riddance over a situation like I think they could have walked into my mouth. In a sense of, first off, I was a young Christian in my first ministry. And I really didn't understand the dynamics of church politics, nor do I yet. Um, I just, it kind of floored me. And I was kind of told to, as I approached the elders with it, I, I was kind of told to bite my tongue and not worry about it. That's just the so-and-so of it. That's just the way they are. We are not to bless this unity. Jesus has got a way to address it here. I can't imagine Him saying this, unless it, and this much, unless it's important. And setting up a stage that's very awkward for anyone in the flesh. At least it is for me. So the point of of asking this person to leave the fellowship isn't to get rid of them. And it isn't even as a a punishment as much as it is to to let them see what it is that they're, they're turning their back on in a sense, that they're not being a part of as they bring disunity. We have a situation that Paul actually addresses in, 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 in a combination of two letters in the New Testament. First and Second Corinthians. In chapter 5 of First Corinthians, you have a, a, a man who is sinning in the congregation, and, and as a result, uh, he's approached, he won't repent, he's asked to leave, and then he becomes repentant, and they won't take him back. Good riddance. Paul says, wait a minute, that's not how it works. You've got a, a, a person who's got a broken heart and is repentant. Now, this is where you embrace. This is what you were working for the whole time. Right? You may have been excluded at one point, but the inclusion, if there's repentance, it's over. There may be a need to bring people back together, work through some of this, and, and kind of repeat some of this. But the idea is, is that it, it, it's, it, here's how it works initially. It's not a natural process. When I'm offended, I want vindication. I want, to, I want to be soothed. And I'm not necessarily very spiritual about it. This isn't a natural process. But if the goal isn't reconciliation, you're not striving for the Holy Spirit and the work of God and His will in a situation like this. You know, there's whole ministries now devoted to reconciliation alone. There are organizations that you can call, counseling organizations that you can call, you know, uh, to come in and to, to, to do a, a week long kind of series of meetings at your church to br- try to bring harmony back in and stuff like that. Their, their whole ministry is reconciliation. I don't, I don't think Jesus had that envision here. I'm not saying that's wrong, by the way. If you've gotten to that point, you need help. But what Jesus is saying, is, this is something we should be handling within the body that it happens. And we should be able to do that through this process. Looking for reconciliation. Now, somebody's gonna, you know, you can kinda say, I'm the offended party, he was the offender, why is everything resting on me? Why doesn't he have to do anything? He does. Matthew chapter 5 talks about if you're at the altar and bringing your gift and you know a brother has something against you, And you are to leave the altar, leave your gift and get that taken care of and then come back. How do you get it taken care of? (laughs) Somebody says, Well, wait, I thought that was something you just go and I'm sorry. No. It may be something that has to be worked out and go through all of this before it's over. But God's saying, I don't want your offerings, I want your heart. How many times do we hear that in the Old Testament? You know, we're, we're surprised because God has ordained all of these offerings, and then He says, "But they're not important to Me. What is really important to Me is your heart." So it doesn't matter which way you're on, which side of this thing you're on. God has put the the responsibility on you. So none of us are free from this. We, we are all responsible. If we're aware of something, we need to take care of it. How? Alone. One-on-one. Small group of people, a few together as witnesses if necessary. Hopefully by that time you've got it figured out. But if that doesn't take care of it, bring the elders into the picture and seek their advice and their counsel and their direction. The elders will have, may have to make a determination and say one person just doesn't want to play. That person may be asked to leave the fellowship until there is repentance and a willingness to bring them back together for reconciliation. That's basically what is is being said here. Now there's another part to this scripture. Verses 18, 19, and 20. I've already read them, but i read them again. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by My Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in My name, there I am among them. And we need to understand that this is, in context... Together with this discipline part of Scripture. So I, I I think in first regard it has to do with the idea of, 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 of repentance, reconciliation, and, and forgiveness. Now next week the focus will be on forgiveness. And I'm not going to get into that this the, this morning, but the idea is for me this morning is to look at, at verses 18, 19, and 20. And I don't know whether it's because it's just the way my brain works or if it, 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 it is the Gentile side of me or what, but I, I somehow see verse 20, 19, and 18 in that order uh, to understand it. So that's what you're going to have to do with me this morning. You're going to have to go backwards with this. In verse 20 it says that, that, that there are, are the, the people are ga- that gather together in His name, believers gathering together in His name, the idea of in His name is we are sincerely seeking His face. That's implied. We're not just coming together in name only in the sense of, oh, I went to church today. I, 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 I went to church, you know, I, I, I did my dues, all of this kind of stuff. No, we're talking about in His name being in a relationship with Jesus Christ that is personal and wanting to mature. I think all of that is implied in this. They gather together for a purpose. To worship Jesus Christ. They're seeking Him. And they're finding Him. They're finding Him through His Word. Through the Holy Spirit. Through the the fellowship of the church together. Interacting together with the Holy Spirit working on them. It's a fellowship of believers. And Jesus says, I am in their midst. Or I am among them. He is there. I believe that this is more than just, but not excluding, the Holy Spirit in us coming together. I believe within the context of us coming together and fellowship and worship, God inhabits the, the, the praises and our worship together in, I think, a, a, a way that is nowhere else can be achieved. The writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 10 that we are not to forsake the fellowship Why? Because it's an important part of maturing, growing, and working together in Christ. Why? Because God moves there in special ways at times. And coming together to worship together, to read His Word together, to study His Word together, all of it strengthens us. That can't happen one on one. Does this mean that you're not supposed to pray by yourself? No, this has nothing to do with understanding that part. The idea is, is that uh, we come together. There's a part of this that that God intended to happen as a body. I think it's a possibility that we're far more fragmented as denominations today than than what would please the Lord. And I think that's a tragedy. I am have no idea how to fix that, other than to be gracious, kind, and accepting of other people, even if they don't think it exactly the same way I think it, unless they deny the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in some way, or deny this is the God-breathed word. At that point, we have reason for not being together. So, the writer of Hebrews says, come together in fellowship. Don't forsake this. This is an important part of, 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 of who you are and, 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 and what you are. And, and it's an important part of being uh, in the body of Christ. Verse 19, going backwards, it says, uh, I say to you, if two of you are agree on anything about, uh, on earth about anything that ask, it will be done for them. By my Father in heaven. So as we're coming together in His name to fellowship together and Christ is in our midst, He's saying anything you ask in my name, you know, uh, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. I've seen this being taken to the bank too. When I'm not the bank of Christ. The idea is, oh, well, you know, I, I, I'm a, I, 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 it goes back and it tells you where I come out of the 60s and 70s and, and the Jesus movement and all of that kind of stuff. But there was a whole timing of this and, and I've seen it over and over again now of the idea is that if I'm a king's kid and I w- w- want something, God wants to bless me. He wants me to be a happy, wealthy, prosperous person. I do not see that as part of the Scripture. I don't actually agree with that at all, but I'm just saying, the, the, that's, I, that's not what this Scripture is talking about. As people gather together in His name, He's in their midst. And as they are in agreement and prayer, what is implied is that, that the, 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 they are in a like matter of teaching and understanding prayer. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount gave them clear pictures of of, of prayer and and what it was to be. And it was not seeking My will, but Your will. Lord, that that Your will will be accomplished here on earth. What You want accomplished. And we see that exemplified in Christ when He says, not My will, but Thy will be done. In the Garden of Gethsemane. So, when we're coming in together in agreement on prayer, we're not coming to agree, agreement on prayer, uh, you know, about the color of the carpet, although that may be necessary at some point. I have seen it. I actually, truly have. But we're coming together in agreement on prayer, meaning. We know who Jesus Christ is. He's the the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And we want His will accomplished in our lives, in our congregation, in each other. And together we want to strive to glorify Him as a body of Christ. So we're gathered together in His name. He's in our midst. And as we're in agreement with prayer, He says, God will honor our prayer. As we're seeking His will to be done, God will accomplish His purpose. The outcome will be that God's will on earth, as it is in heaven, in other words, as He ordains, will be accomplished. In other words, what we pray for to bind and what we pray for to loose because we are gathered together with Jesus Christ in our myth, believers in Him, wanting His will to be accomplished, His purposes will be accomplished. What He wants bound will be bound. What He wants loosed will be loosed. And, and we will be in harmony with the kingdom of God and His desires. This kind of unity isn't possible without us calling on, on, on God through the Holy Spirit in us through, in the name of Jesus Christ. And it begins with all of us saying in our own personal prayers. Not the prayers that, that we do together, but our own personal prayers. It begins there. And Matthew tells us about praying privately and, and, and communing with God on a one-on-one basis. And it said, the prayer is, Lord, change me to be Your person. If that's not part of your prayer life, then it needs to be. Lord, change me to be your person. How long do I have to be in change process? As long as you're in this flesh. Because this flesh is fighting every inch of that. Your flesh is staying and screaming out just as mine is, My way! My way! My way! We're seeking unity and we want it. We come seeking the face of Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, in our midst, God is with us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us. Isaiah chapter 53 speaks of a suffering servant who would come and redeem us and reconcile us. Paul in, in, in Philippians chapter uh, 2 uh, gives us, a, uh, I think, for me at least, a, a one of the best descriptions of Christ in his coming. Uh, in chapter 2 of Philippians, he says, Have this mind among yourselves. Notice, among yourselves. This is a thing of unity here. Okay? This is a, to be our understanding. Which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. this is if we're if we're coming together with this motivation that we want Christ glorified and we come back to the humility that's already being talked about in this chapter as putting ourselves in the understanding we don't deserve any of this Christ has done it all do you have that confidence you now we we sang a song this morning that reflected on it and, and the idea is, is that uh, are you confident that what God has started he's going to finish and, and, and the idea of, of resting with absolute confidence that nothing can separate you from this. Romans chapter 8. This is only possible through what I just read here. The death, and burial, and as we go on to read and as we read in other parts of the Scripture and the epistles, resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. The words on the cross, it is finished, allowed us to find the place to come together to be in fellowship and have Him in our midst. When we worship this morning, I believe that that's true. He inhabits the praises of His people. He said it is finished in order to accomplish this. What He meant was, I surrender. And He literally surrendered all. That we could have it all. We were talking about this in Bible study the other night. The, the, the veil was torn in two. When he said it is finished, the veil was torn in two in the temple. I can't imagine what it would be like to have been one of the, the temple priests on duty at that time. Uh, I don't know, I, I doubt that I would have stayed, but then I might not have been able to move. Because that's not possible. It was constructed in such a way that kind of thing just couldn't happen. It was a supernatural event. And I think they would have known that immediately. But why was the veil rent? Because the access to the Mercy Street it was now through the blood of Christ. And everybody who would fall under the blood of Christ, claim Jesus Christ as their Savior, can come. And as the Holy Spirit opens your mind to receive that, we come together resting in the truth that we have salvation. If we are a saved people, then there's a way a saved people live. And one of them is striving at every point for unity within the body of Christ. Not to be a stumbling block, but to be a building block. So as we go to communion this morning, and there's much more to this. There's more to come for this in the sense of forgiveness and how that works. But as, as, as we come to communion this morning, rest with that confidence that what God has put together, man can't tear it apart. Nothing created can separate you from Him. And that as you know Him as your Savior, uh, it's because of what He has done. These emblems represent the finished work of Jesus Christ. He gave His life, shed His blood. And then through a bodily resurrection showed the authority and the power to conquer sin. And He did it for us. I asked the ushers to come forward, the worship team to come up, and pass the, the emblems out. Hold them until we've all been served and we'll, we'll share it together.